Hey, what is going on? It is Eric Bach, your host of the Look Right Naked podcast. Today, I sit down with coach Mike Milner. Mike is the founder of Neurotype Training. He's also the head podcaster and founder of the Mind Over Macros podcast, which just eclipsed 900,000 downloads this year. Mike does an incredible job of breaking down the mental side of dieting. We dig deep into certain questions like, what are some of the dangers of prolonged long-term low-carb dieting? What happens if our mindset, if we get too dogmatic in our approach with our nutrition? And ultimately, how can we conquer our limiting beliefs and find a sustainable, practical way to be able to build a body that we want while living the lifestyle that we love. So in today's podcast, you are going to absolutely love Mike's approach. It's going to be a breath of fresh air, particularly in the fitness industry where things get so segmented, people focus on cherry picking research to support an ideal without actually focusing on the individual directly in front of them. And so Mike's approach is something that really factors in what you should be approaching for you. What's going to be the best approach with your nutrition for you? Because ultimately, it doesn't matter what the research says, unless you can actually practically sustain new habits and behaviors and put your mind over the macros. So with today's podcast, make sure that you check out the Mind Over Macros podcast. Also, if you want to learn more about Coach Mike, go to coach underscore Mike underscore Milner on Instagram.com. Feel free to ask him any questions or check out any podcast clips. And if you are loving this episode, please do us a favor, hit that subscribe button and hit share, tag Mike and I, and throw that up on Instagram. When you do so, I will send over one of my favorite gifts directly from Legion Athletics to support your training and helping you look great naked without living in the gym. On to today's podcast with Coach Mike Milner. Just kind of give you a heads up. Um, I'd like to really dig into like mastering the mental side of dieting. I think you do an incredible job of that with your podcast, with your content, and everything across the board. Um, dig into neurotyping and some of those aspects as well. And we can even touch on to the like the business side of things a little bit and just kind of see where the conversation goes. You're a incredibly skilled coach, fantastic podcaster. Congrats on a 900,000, by the way, which is, uh, which is huge. And a little short of the goal, but it's all right. Yeah, you know what? Goals are something simply to aim at, not necessarily always to uh, to accomplish. And that seems like a good way to approach dieting. You know, a lot of people have huge goals when it comes to transforming their bodies. They have this big goal, this idea of where they want to be. And anything that doesn't fully hit that sometimes feels like a failure. And I feel like a lot of times people get wrapped up and have this almost toxic mindset based on the amount of progress that they're making, or they attach their identity to what they're doing in the kitchen or with their health. Um, we don't have to jump into that right now. I realize like that's like right to the jugular um, as we're going. But, you know, I think that's a big thing that you cover cover really well. Um, is there anything that you would like to talk about or even promote kind of at the end? So I know like a good segue, like any of the email copywriting, any of that stuff? Uh, I mean, if there's coaches that listen that, that want some help with with copywriting, email marketing, that you know, I'm, I'm happy to offer up some, some help there. Uh, my podcast is really like the biggest thing to drive people to. So, um, yeah, nothing really like on the promo list or marketing list. So podcast, if any, if there are any coaches that, that want some help with email marketing, I can definitely. Okay. Are you uh, taking any time to cool off before the holiday or are you just kind of hitting it hard until like Friday afternoon, do stuff like Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and then back at it. Yeah. So I'm not really going to be taking much time. I actually, now that I've kind of found this solid like balance of my nutrition coaching business, the copywriting stuff that I'm doing, uh, there has been a little more, even though it was a lot in the beginning and I felt like I was burning myself out, I've got my schedule in a good place and I really enjoy the work now. So it's a different feeling to not have to like to be able to work, but not feel like I'm constantly on overdrive. So um, I'll, you know, I'll relax over the weekends and stuff, but uh, no real scheduled time off. Yeah. 
You know what? I think when you own a business, a lot of times as well, sometimes it's fun to have that complete time off, but other times you just want to pull off the throttle a little bit, but just do like one or two key important tasks for the day that keeps the momentum going. It keeps your head in the game, but you also develop the ability to disconnect and, and still be happy with that process. Yeah, completely. That's, I mean, I think that's for everything. I talk a lot about finding the maximum recoverable volume that you can do, and then also finding the minimum effective dose in, in yeah. all areas, not just with business or training, but in relationships as well. Because I know that I can have that conversation with my wife and say, you know, this is going to be a season of like maximum recoverable volume for business or for my fitness pursuit or whatever it may be, which means that our relationship may kind of have to live in this minimum, you know, minimum effective dose place where we're still doing those like maybe Saturday night date nights. Maybe we're not doing like the big long trips that we're planning. And maybe there's, you know, we're pulling back in some areas uh, so that other areas of life can uh, you can push the gas pedal a little bit more. So I think that kind of balancing act always needs to happen. You know, I think that's a really key principle that a lot of people learn directly through fitness and their approach. If you try to white knuckle everything all the time, eventually you get to a point where you get more effective at what you're doing, but the output that you're putting in requires so much more recovery. And a lot of people run themselves into the ground and run into those issues. But when you start to learn how to manage those capacities with your body, you can learn how to transfer them directly to how you apply it to business to life, to different seasons of the year. And I think that's one of the most valuable things that you can learn, not just that particular skill, but being able to take the lessons that you're picking up and that you're learning directly from one area of life, say fitness, and be able to apply them elsewhere to your relationships or to building wealth. Yeah, completely. And I, you know, I think that was a tough lesson for me on the fitness side of things. And now I look back at it, like if I can go through a dieting phase, for example, I usually do like one a year. Uh, so when I go through my dieting phase, I want to get it over with quickly and, and efficiently. But I also realize that if I can diet effectively while getting to the gym three days a week versus six days a week, is there really any added benefit of those three extra days in the gym other than maybe, you know, you love to be there. And it, but for me at this point in my life, I, I'm not like thrilled to go to the gym six days a week. So the, the three extra recovery days or the extra hour plus that I get to spend uh, working on my business or relationship, family time, whatever it may be, is worth it because I know three days is going to get the job done. Why am I just, it's a lot of times the mindset of I'm leaving results on the table. And sometimes it's just disconnecting from that as a hard fact, just because you thought it doesn't mean it's true. Uh, and recognizing that a lot can be accomplished with that minimum effective dose. And it doesn't mean you're lazy. It doesn't mean you're weak. It doesn't mean you're missing out on progress that could have been made. It means you're just working smarter and not harder. No doubt. And do you ever deal with clients who have maybe been in elite level shape before? Maybe they were a competitor and they want to get new or they want to get results, but they want to find a more sustainable path. But as soon as they start to focus on, say, their health or on their training, nutrition, whatever it is, a little bit more. They tend to backslide into like this all intensive component and approach, even while maybe they're more stressed from their personal life. Their work is busier. Is that something that you deal with? Yeah, frequently. And I, it doesn't even have to be, you know, we work, we actually do work with a lot of former competitors who are transitioning out of that identity, which can be a difficult transition to make, whether they competed at a high level, bodybuilding, you know, bikini, CrossFit athletes, things like that, but also just women who, and we work primarily with women, but also women who played a sport in college or they're comparing themselves to like the 20 year old version of themselves. They're like, well, when I was 20, I could do this, this, and this. 
It's like, well, let's talk about all the variables in your life now that you're 40 plus that, you know, were very different when you were 20. Like now you have a family, now you have this career, now you have, you know, all these other responsibilities. So is it reasonable to think that the stress-free 20-year-old version of you um, is going to, you know, respond the same way as the stressed out 40-year-old version? And, and just sometimes it's like breaking those, those false beliefs, the narratives that kind of go along with it. It's like, Let's let's peel back the layers and see what what you're actually you know what narrative you're communicating to yourself and if there's any validity to it if there's any truth to it or is it more you know you're holding on to something that that used to be but is no, it no longer is and then let's let's rewrite the narrative that actually makes more sense for this phase and season of your life yeah that's such a crucial component especially when you have somebody who's been a high performer they've held themselves to a high standard using the athlete example many times people who are athletes. When they were athletes, they had all of their training designed directly for them. They had the teamwork in support of potentially multiple coaches, of teammates. And at that phase, it might have been go to school, play your sport, go to school, play your sport. And now everything else has changed, not to mention underlying physiology has changed. And people hold themselves to that same standard, and then they no longer have that same support. And so when people get stuck in that identity of who I was at this phase and don't adapt a different operating system, that's what leads, I believe, a lot of people to some of a toxic relationship with health and with fitness. And for you with mind over macros, is that a big piece of the puzzle that you find? It's like, how do you conquer the mindset, getting out of just the analytics, out of the numbers and really start to understand the mindset component? Yeah, completely. Yeah, I was, I'm very, uh, data driven. I love research. I love looking at, you know, the latest and greatest and, you know, show me new studies on everything, physiology and, you know, metabolism, hormones, all the stuff. I want to learn all of it. And I found myself very early on in my career, really gravitating towards that like science-based approach. It, if it says it in a study, then that's what I'm going to use for my clients. And uh, so I started as a personal trainer and then got more into the nutrition side of things. Uh, and what I quickly recognized was that the more that I leaned into just what the research says, the more that I lost people. And I wasn't seeing the results that I wanted for my clients. My clients were frustrated. I started working for another company as a nutrition coach and um, I got to see thousands and thousands of data points, which was a really cool thing to see. Um, so it was just being able to look at, you know, I think they had tens of thousands of, of members in their nutrition coaching program. Um, and we could kind of look through and sift through all the data and see, you know, weight trends and, and compliance and all this stuff. And a lot of them were struggling, even though this was all like energy balance. It's just macronutrients, calories in, calories out. We're going to put you in a deficit and you're going to lose weight. And it just wasn't holding up. Like, I don't understand, you know, this is what research tells yeah. us. I just, I started doing something really crazy, which was actually having conversations with people as a human and listening. And it always came down to, it wasn't about the nutrition. It wasn't about their workouts. It wasn't about anything other than the things that were going on inside of their mind. It was mindset first. And that was really an eye-opening experience because, again, being able to look at so many data points and recognizing that all of these people who are supposedly following a very you know structured, organized macro plan, energy deficit, all the things that you would think would produce results, they weren't seeing results mainly because... Um, there was a disconnect that we weren't, we weren't focusing on the psychology of the individual. And that was where 
I started to blend the two and I've always had a passion for psychology. So it was like, okay, if I can take what I know about, you know, exercise science and physiology and nutritional science, and I can combine that with, with human psychology and behavior change and how we're wired and the thoughts and beliefs that we have about ourselves and why we self-sabotage and emotional eating and all of these things that come into play. Well, now, like to me, that's what makes it sustainable. If I can, I call it like the top-down approach. If I can start with what's going on in between your ears, then I know that everything that happens in your body, we can actually make it stick. But if we miss that that piece of you know your mindset and your thoughts and beliefs, and your know, mindset is kind of a buzzword right now, but it's important. It, it is like the underpinning of everything that we do now for our, our clients uh, to make sure that the results actually last. So I saw a huge shift in not only getting results, but helping clients actually maintain them. Yeah, that's such a powerful piece. We have to meet people at the individual level, not necessarily put them into a box. One issue that I see consistently across the board, frankly, the fitness industry is getting better at marketing. That's a good thing and a bad thing. But a lot of times in marketing, it's involved the processes around creating a brand, creating an idea, creating a particular structure that makes you different and standing out. And where I think a lot of people get stuck is they might get good at the marketing component, but they try to fit people in this box when that box doesn't serve the individual who's directly in front of you. And that's why coaching itself is such a blend of both an art and a science. And similar to you, there have been so many times, you know, I look at research, I read all the stuff, I see what's going on. What happens in a room full of 12 college age males doesn't always apply to people up in the real world. It doesn't apply to 45-year-old Susie who's been doing different yo-yo diets on and off, the grapefruit diet, whatever the hell, for years in trying different classes and seems like she should be in a calorie deficit based on the number of calories that she's working, yet the numbers don't line up. And when she goes online and checks out a nutrition calculator that says she should be eating 1,900 calories, and she's realistically been eating 1,100 for a long period of time, maybe with a few times where it goes way above, it just creates such a disconnect between the end user, the consumer, the average everyday person who is looking to get healthier, what they should really believe. For you, if you have somebody who comes in and they say, hey, Mike, you know what? I feel like I've been doing everything right. I've been eating at a calorie deficit. This is what my food looks like and it's really good. And I feel like nothing works for me. Am I just a non-responder? Like, how do you handle that? Yeah, so a lot of it would come down to asking more questions um, and really getting into some of those things that they've tried. I've been doing everything right. What we need to tease out is what is your definition of right and why do you assume that those things are right? Um, because if it was right for you, then you would be making progress and you would actually be enjoying the process. So oftentimes, and I get this probably more than any other question, I've been doing everything right. Nothing works for me. What do I do from here? And usually I start with, okay, tell me your definition of doing everything right. A lot of times there's all of these assumptions. You know, I've been really meticulous with my, you know, low carb meal plan. I've been doing my 60 minutes of cardio every day. I've been whatever it's, you know, I've been taking my supplements. I've been doing all these things. Uh, and when we start to ask those questions, like, why do you think that low carb is right? Well, I, I, you know, follow this guy on Instagram and he told me that, you know, if I want to improve my blood sugar, I have to eat low. It's like, okay, so how, how does that feel? Is it sustainable? Are you enjoying it? What is your energy like? Do you feel like this adds to your life? Does it take away from your life? And like, once we start again, peel back the layers, a lot of times the 
assumption of what's right is not based on anything other than I believe this to be true because somebody that I follow on Instagram or some article that I read on the internet, some, you know, I heard it somewhere. My friend did this diet and lost 30 pounds. There's somewhere along the way that this became their version of what's right. And then it's a matter of like, why don't we just find what's right for you? Because a lot of the things that you're communicating don't really fit your lifestyle, you know, you, you enjoy carbs, you feel better when you're eating carbs. Like, yeah. And I'm just using that as one example, but it's a common one. It's I'm doing everything right. I'm trying to restrict my car. I'm trying to eat 1200 calories. Well, why do you think you need to eat 1200 calories? Well, I opened up my fitness pal and that was the target that it gave me. Well, do you think that my fitness pal knows you as an individual? Or do you think that it's a very generic calculation that it's giving, you know, everybody, right? if like, I need to write a diet for uh, 10,000 people, I should probably accommodate for the slowest metabolism in the room so that everybody loses weight. So th there's, you know, once you start to peel back the layers, you start to get to the root of why do you think this is right? And let's redefine what's right for you and then make it happen. So I've yet to see a true non-responder. You know, sometimes it's it's arguing semantics. Like I've I had this conversation with somebody uh, on a post that I made about metabolism, um, basically saying like for, for somebody who's eating, trying to eat 1100 calories a day, uh, and we shift the focus on like, let's support your metabolism without like, stop stressing it out, stop depriving it, let's support your metabolism, eat more and you can actually get leaner. Um, and he pushed back and he's like, there's nowhere in the research that says that you can actually improve somebody's metabolic rate by eating more. And we started getting into the semantics of it. But if the individual is able to stay more consistent, let's just say they're, they think they're eating 1100 calories, but they're really, you know, trying to eat 1100 and actually eating a lot more because of binge episodes and snacking or whatever. But then we, we take this approach of like, we're going to focus on supporting your body and internal health and your metabolism that's actually going to involve eating more and we get their calories up to a reasonable amount where they are able to stay consistent now the semantics of it is they weren't in a deficit now they are so they're responding but from the mindset of the of the person of the individual they're thinking like I'm taking care of my body now. And that means fueling adequately enough for recovery and med like things matter the way that it's perceived rather than being like, well, you were, you were lying to yourself before and now you're actually in a deficit. I think sometimes feeling like that, that place of empowerment, I'm doing this for my internal health, for my metabolism, to fuel my activity, to fuel recovery. I'm trying to build muscle. I like that perspective, even if semantics they didn't actually increase their metabolic rate or do any magic to their metabolism. I still think that that frame is a really powerful one for, for people to hold on to. Yeah, I think that's an incredibly powerful way to approach it. Uh, I had a conversation with my personal coach, Blake West, and he says something along the lines of, you can't improve using the same method that caused damage before, right? Something along those lines. And essentially, if you've been following a low carbohydrate, low calorie diet for a prolonged period of time, potentially you're dealing with some metabolic adaptation issues, but potentially you could have dysregulated thyroid. You could have supremely elevated cortisol. There could be all kinds of stuff going on here where continuing to hammer that same thing and trying to take the calories lower and lower and lower simply isn't serving you because your body's not healthy. Your body's focused primarily on homeostasis on keeping you alive before it is worried about you losing body fat. And I think a lot of people sacrifice health by trying to take calories lower and lower and lower. And once you've played that card, 
you don't really have anywhere to go because every other physiological system inside your body goes down. Like your digestion suffers. You don't have the vitamins and minerals really needed to look, feel, and perform your best. And so many people get stuck just to to keep my calories lower. That's that's what it's going to be. And and it just tends to get people really disenchanted with other options, particularly if they're a data-driven analytical person where they just look at it from a mathematic perspective of, no, like I should be in a deficit. How can eating more help me lose fat? Sometimes we have to take an indirect route to improve the underlying health of the system in order to play that card. Completely. And I think it's one of those, like, like you said, if, if the diet caused the problem, the diet's probably not going to fix the problem. So, um, and it's like, we have to have these, these toggles because if you're only playing one hand, if you're only playing the eat less, move more hand and that hand stops working, you're all out of options. Like that, that's a losing hand at that point. So where else do you go from there? Uh, and so a lot of times it's, if I get pushed back to, you know, again, I said, we met, we work primarily with women. Sometimes there's a fear when it's, oh, we're, we're going to get your calories up. We're going to increase the amount that you're eating. And then as much as we can kind of, you know, share that this is for internal health and this is to help you manage stress and perform better. You're going to have so much more energy. You're going to sleep better, all these amazing benefits, but there's still this fear of like, won't I gain weight? Like, won't the scale go up? It's like, well, hopefully not, <laughs> maybe a little bit, but hopefully not. Uh, but what's, what's the other option? Well, you know, at this point, if you've been doing this, you know, very restrictive, low carb, low calorie diet, where would you like to go? Because it hasn't been sustainable. You're miserable. You're saying you're, you know, there's fatigue, there's brain fog, there's moodiness, there's lack of sleep. Do you want to go less? Because we, there's really only one other direction. And so I think sometimes it's really um, just playing that out. Like here are the two paths. Uh, which one sounds better to you and then letting them make that decision. Yeah. And I think letting other people make that decision specifically with their health is so important. Yeah. We can guide them and kind of present the evidence and and what the consequences or benefits could be of a certain thing, but ultimately people want to do things their way. Like that is a, a huge component. Right. And so I think that's such an important concept to understand when it comes to communicating directly with a client. So they really understand that process and feel like they're at the driver's seat. Because when people are at the driver's seat and taking control of their own health, that's how they become self-sufficient. And ultimately, that's the goal. That's the goal as a coach, not to keep somebody on you know, recurring revenue forever. It's like, can we teach people how to take these skills? Can we do a knowledge transfer from my brain to yours and you can apply it directly to your life in a way that's going to be most applicable for you? One area that I see quite a bit, and this will happen for cycles forever and ever through the fitness industry, but you know, low-carbohydrate diets, they can be a useful tool, but I see more struggling mentally with people who do well in a low carb diet. And then as soon as they start to incorporate carbohydrates back in, they get scared of that initial weight gain that pops up, even though it generally levels out after like 10 days, they feel like that's the card they have to play. What do you find to be maybe some of the dangers or downsides of prolonged low carb dieting? Yeah. So especially in the the demographic that I work with, um, I think it's one of the, I, I usually don't make generic blanket statements. I, I love to explain nuance and context and say, well, it depends and here's what it depends on. But for the demographic that I work with, primarily women in their 40s and, and, and older, uh, it is causing more harm than it is doing good. And even if you're able to, to get some temporary weight loss by going low carb, during that time period when you are more sensitive to stress, when hormones are fluctuating, um, and again, it's going through a certain season or phase, perfectly normal part of life, we do need a tool in the toolbox that is going to be able to help us uh, with stress management and recovery. So when you go low carb, you know, you're, you're basically losing a tool that helps to shut off 
cortisol. So, you know, carbs raise insulin. Insulin is the shutoff valve to cortisol. Um, being able to increase serotonin, you know, carbs help to, to boost your, your mood balancing hormone or neurotransmitter serotonin. Um, performance, a lot of times, you know, I'm working with women who lift heavy and they want to get stronger. Well, that's like, if we're not incorporating, you know, some carbohydrates for, for performance and for recovery, we're, we're leaving results on the table. Uh, and then just for straight up energy to get through your day, you know, again, having a demanding job and, and a family life and all the things that you're doing, uh, it requires energy, your brain requires energy. So when you start to notice that fatigue, brain fog, I can't really come up with the words that I used to, I'm, I'm struggling to form sentences, there's a reason for that, because you're depriving your body of a primary fuel source um, that it it enjoys. And I think there's this big misconception. A lot of times when we talk about low carbs, we talk about carbohydrate in general. Oftentimes you'll hear people immediately go to like bread, pasta, cookies, it's, it's, we forget about, you know, vegetables and fruit and potatoes and rice and oats. When you start to bring that into the, you know, into the lens, it's like, oh yeah, I forgot. <laughs> I forgot that those are all carbohydrates. Um, yeah. And then when you look at like the sweets and everything, typically foods like that, you know, cookies, ice cream, cake, all that stuff that are labeled carbs typically have just as many, if not more calories from fat than from carbs. There's, there's a lot of misinformation out there about low carb dieting. Like you mentioned, it is a tool in the toolbox. Um, typically it's something that I'll use when we have an individual who is more resilient to stress, um, and, and has the ability, maybe they're not doing as, uh, as much heavy lifting. It's just kind of more of a lifestyle client who wants to be healthy, walk a little bit more, but not trying to build a bunch of muscle or, or work out, you know, intensely in the gym or anything like that. It is a tool that we have in the toolbox, but I think especially for my demographic, it's a, it's a hard pass. Hard pass. I like it. You know, it's such a great way to phrase it. Like it, again, it's a tool in the toolbox. It doesn't mean it's something you can't, but if you have all these additional external, external stressors, and then you remove a primary macronutrient, that's going to be one, a great source of fuel for your brain It's going to help, you know, optimize the conversion of frankly, T3 to T4 and thyroid function. Um, it's going to help reduce cortisol directly after a workout, or if you're in a highly stressed environment, removing that can drive stress up, negatively impact sleep. And pretty soon when you've elevated stress and decreased sleep quality, every other hormonal system inside your body, not to mention your willpower, your ability to make good decisions, is going to go down the drain. It's, it's a tool that you can use, but you have to be aware of the consequences of it and even have a structured play to gradually bring the carbohydrates back in. You know, I think that's such an important piece of understanding that diets don't have to be when you're across the board, like if you take a measure that's going to be more intense, well, you have to have an exit strategy for it. And if there's no exit strategy, that's when people start to follow these crazy, basically like photo shoot prep diets, because they're like, hey, X, Y, and Z got ripped for a photo shoot for this. And then they try to apply it forever, not understanding contextually speaking that that individual might have been at, you know, 40, 50% carbohydrates for nine months, they flipped the switch off for six weeks, and then they're going to gradually build back up on the backside. Yeah. Yeah, completely. And I think it's very similar to what I said before about the workout structure. If I can get the job done with three days a week, why am I going to the gym six days a week? It's the same thing if you're trying to improve body composition. If I can get the job done with a balanced macro profile, profile including carbohydrate, why am I going to suffer for you know through a low-carb diet if I don't have to? Um, the same thing with a client. A, a lot of it is, you know, talking about preference. So there's there's the lifestyle variable, there's the physiological, and then there's also personal preference. And I think that is one of the things that gets overlooked so much. It's like, do you enjoy these foods? Yes. Well, why are we restricting them? Because all that's going to do is create the desire to overconsume them later. Let's just incorporate these, 
you know, in what makes sense for you, where you don't feel deprived, you don't feel restricted. Uh, and that's going to depend on the individual. But it's one of those things that if, if you don't have to go that path, then um, to me, it's more enjoyable to keep more of a balanced macro profile. And there's going to be obviously some variance based off of each person. But I've seen more success with, um, you know, more of that that balanced, you know, kind of starting at that like 40, 30, 30 range and then and then kind of titrating up and down from there. Yeah. You made me think of a conversation I had actually not too long ago with a client and she was being hard on herself because she's like, I haven't been perfect on my macros. I haven't been perfect on this particular approach or this phase that we're in. And I, as of the recording of this, we're like two days out from Christmas. So it is prime time for cookies, sweets, parties, alcohol, all that stuff. Right. And I was talking with her and I'm like, I don't know a single person who's prepped for a show, prepped for a photo shoot. And she's not looking to do any of these things, by the way, who's been perfect on their diet all the way through. I know I never have. Right. And also for what you're doing this for, you're doing it for more confidence to be happier in your skin, to be able to enjoy some of these moments in these other areas that you connect with in your life, like going out to dinner with your husband, right. And, and enjoying these moments while you can still do so without potentially gaining the weight that had been an issue previously. What if success for you wasn't 100% perfection on hitting these numbers and eating these foods? What if success was being 85% where you have that date night, you have these components. Because if we compare ourselves against this, you know, zero to a hundred type philosophy and apply a standard that might be designed for somebody who's legitimately a professional athlete, a physique competitor, whose entire life is around getting shredded, having strided butt cheeks for seven minutes while they step on stage, that doesn't match what we desire. And it doesn't match the other things that we enjoy. And so if we do not factor that mindset component in, what are we doing? And, and typically the mindset of, 100%, I have to be 100% perfect. It's the aftermath of that. It's when you can't because it's it's an impossible standard. You know, think think about any area of your life where you're expected to be 100% perfect 100% of the time and it is an impossible standard. And so what happens when you fall short of that? And and now there's the perception of failure and the the bar and the standard has set so high that it feels like this huge mountain to to quote unquote, get back on track because get back on track means do every single thing right and be even more diligent than you, you were trying to be. It's, it's mentally exhausting, which typically leads people to go hard in the other direction. So the pendulum swings, it's, you know, kind of like the, the further you pull the rubber band back, the harder it snaps. And that's usually what happens with that mindset versus, you know, we're going to be, like you mentioned 85%, we're going to reframe the definition of success. And then when you do fall off, it's, it's a gradual movement. It's not like this, you know, we have to go all the way back on track. It's just a gradual movement back into the lane that you were in. Yeah. It's like, listen, if you weren't perfect and maybe you had something that you shouldn't have based on what your goals are, one, is it really something you should have had? Like that's a conversation to have. But second, just get back and make the next best decision because things aren't always going to be perfect. You know, it's like if you're going out to eat and you used to always get like a double cheeseburger with bacon and fries, which sounds really delicious right about now, and you drink three beers. Well, like what if you just had a side salad instead of the fries? That's an improvement. What if we cut down from three beers to one beer? Those are all improvements. You still get to enjoy some of those concepts or some of those foods, some of these experiences. However, we're just making them a little bit better. And so if we can keep the enjoyment of something that is fulfilling in life in many different ways, yet make slight improvements on that, that lead us towards a healthier lifestyle that we're looking to have, isn't that success? Isn't that what we want? Yeah, I would argue that that's 
exactly where success lives. It's those tiny adjustments that aren't super exciting to talk about. And it's not the 30 pounds in six week fat loss challenge, but that's where real success happens. It's those little trade-offs. It's the little sacrifices. It's the you know, small additions where you know, you're adding that extra serving of veggies on your plate instead of you know whatever else you might've put on there before. Uh, those little tiny additions or subtractions that go a long way that, that feel almost inconsequential, but they compound over time those little changes that you, you probably don't notice until, you know, months go by and then you're a totally different person. Your foundational habits have changed. The way that you identify has changed. Um, you know, the future version of yourself that you, you think is possible. Now all of a sudden that person is, is well within reach. And that's the, the compounding effect of exactly what you're talking about, where we're, we're defining success in something that's actually more real life applicable. Yeah, it's kind of it gets me thinking of 75 hard, which listen, if anybody wants to do something like 75 hard, a challenge where you're doing multiple workouts per day for 75 days and you get results on it, hat tip to you. However, I've seen so many people that do things like that and then they completely backslide. Then they're like, well, I guess I'll try to do 75 hard again. Like, what if we just didn't fucking do 75 hard? What if we did? Cool. 52 weeks of a year, we did three workouts a week and we went for a walk every single night with our spouse. That seems a lot more practical and sustainable. I guarantee over the course of time, it's going to lead to a lot healthier approach in general. And so it's pulling away from some of these extreme measures as attractive as it can be. And frankly, sometimes they can be what people need in extreme circumstances to like reframe and, and reset some different components. But the focus on long-term sustainability is ultimately what leads people to looking great naked without living in the gym and having that consistent lifestyle that they're looking for. And so that's such an important aspect. Now, Mike, one thing you had mentioned before is you spent a lot of time looking directly at studies. I would consider you evidence-based. I would consider myself evidence-based. However, it also sounds like, in, if I'm projecting here, if I'm wrong, just let me have it. You started to notice that hmm, things that were coming up in studies aren't always relevant to when somebody's in front of me. Can you elaborate on that a little bit further? Yeah. So I think that uh, you mentioned it, like when we have a study that maybe was you know 12 college males, and then we're looking at somebody who is in the real world in this dynamic you know, kind of complex system, it's it's really difficult to just copy paste what happened in a study. Uh, again, we have to recognize like research drives, what I would say is like research drives uh, our approach as a starting point. Um, and it can give us insight into things that might be successful, but nothing matters unless it it stands the test of the real world dynamic and the individual. And individuals are complex, there's nuance, there's context, there's individuality, there's there's all of this stuff that comes into play. So even if we look at a study, we have to remember that we're, we're seeing averages and there were outliers across the board. Uh, we also have to remember that certain times when it comes to nutrition, it may have been in a lab in a very controlled environment. And then we put them in a real world that's not a controlled environment. All of a sudden, you know, the data is, is very skewed. So, you know, I think a big one for me was uh, just in like quantity is all that matters. Like there's all this research to show that calories in, calories out. It, it really doesn't matter where you're getting your food from. If you are, you know, eating in a calorie deficit, that's what drives weight loss. And that is accurate. You can't, you can't, there's no loophole for, for energy balance. But what I found is that that, that kind of misses the point on sustainability and adherence and compliance and enjoyability and what happens when Susie goes out with her girlfriends and it's, you know, wine night and 
what happens when you know there's an emotional event or trauma or something that would trigger a binge episode or overindulgence or snacking. It doesn't remove the fact that yes, we know from research energy balance is real and it matters and you can't there can't dance around it. But the way that I would approach it isn't just Listen, Susie, calories in, calories out. You just got to be better at hitting your macro. You just have to follow through on your macro plan. I'm going to approach it from a lifestyle. You know, let's talk about why when there's negative emotions present, you gravitate towards food. Let's talk about what's going on there. Let's talk about inserting maybe, you know, a pattern interrupt where it's not the immediate thing that you do. And we take a pause and you take some deep breaths and you get out of the room and you go for a walk and then you come back and you make the decision that you want to make. And if that's still to crush the pint of ice cream, go for it, have at it. But maybe there's a more productive outlet there that you find to be more rewarding. Let's see if we, so now we're talking about like actual behavior change. So I think research is great, studies inform and and they can drive direction, but it's not the end all be all. And I think we have to always remember, uh, you know, the variables of the study and, and, you know, who was the study on and, and, you know, was it in a lab? Was it in real world? Have we seen a repeated, like there's, there's certain things where one study will show something and then we try to replicate the result and we can't. So it's, you know, there's so many different uh, variables that go into it, which is why I look at it from a very personalized one-on-one individual context. And I find that that uh, produces more success. Yeah, it has to be factored into the individual level. And I think what you hit on here was also that a lot of times research studies cannot be duplicated. And when we can't replicate something, that can potentially be problematic as well, especially in the current environment where I see a lot of young individuals in the fitness industry doing this, where they build their entire business or their brand around highlighting this study, and then it's this study, and then it's this study without the practical application of somebody directly in front of them. And that just misses the boat with a lot of context. But the issue that it creates is people build influence. There's evidence, which I'm glad that there's evidence for something. I really am that you're not just pulling shit out of your ass and like, eating liver and chopping stuff up with knives for uh, social media likes. But when we have that approach without understanding how things apply directly to the individual, it creates a lot of limitations. And when people get so stuck in where's the research, where's the research, the real question should be, does this research apply? Yeah. And, and it, you can get, I think it creates a lot of, uh, you know, kind of dogmatic philosophies around nutrition and training. Um, you could go back and forth with somebody who's, who's a low carb believer and says, look at this study that showed low carb was superior than a high carb diet. And then I can come back and say, yeah, but look at this study that showed the high carb group lost more fat than the low carb group. And then they'll poke holes in that study and say why it's invalid. I can poke holes in their study and show why. And you can play that game forever. Um, and that's why it's like, let's look at the full body of evidence that we have at this moment. And then let's make a conclusion for the individual to the best of our ability. And let's let the results do like, you know, when it comes to, we started talking a little bit about, uh, you know, like reverse dieting and helping with you know, metabolism and things like that. You know, the question is, let, let's find out and see what happens. You know, is, are you magically going to start dropping weight because we increased your calories? I don't know, but you've been trying to eat 1200 calories. That's not working. Let's try it and see what happens and let your body tell us, is this actually working? Rather than being like, well, the research says this, so we have to be married to this plan. I think that's what happens. A lot of people will attach, you know, confirmation bias. They they hold a belief, then they look for all the reasons to continue believing it. Um, and and oftentimes it's at the expense of an individual who then signs up for a program where they put you mentioned putting everybody in the same box. So that I, I find that that's kind of the dark side of somebody who's 
so focused on research, but they're very selective in the research that they attach to. It creates this dogmatic approach. And then they try to put everybody into the same box. Yeah. One of my favorite things is, yeah, you see the low carb versus the high carb people going and then somebody slaps down the meta analysis, which like it doesn't really matter as long as you control calories and keep protein at a certain amount. And then they try to poke holes in that. Right. It's just like this end, endless circular battle that you see specifically, you know, low carb, high carb. That's probably the biggest one that comes to mind as of right now. Mike, you are such an inspiration, both in terms of like the way that you present information and the way that you help people at a practical level, both with your podcast just hit 900k which is absolutely fantastic where can we find out more about you where can we learn from you and give us all those details yeah yeah i appreciate it so yeah my goal for 2024 i'm just going to set the same goal to get a million downloads in the year for my podcast so 2023 i hit 900,000 downloads which is still pretty amazing um that people would listen to me rant for you know 30 to 60 minutes three times a week but that's that's the best place to uh listen to more of of my nonsense on mind over macros it's on any podcast platform if you're more on the kind of like personal development mindset side of things you'll love it um i've of course talked about nutrition i talk about training but i really am fascinated by human behavior and our own psychology and why we do the things that we do so i always try to break that down of like what's what's happening internally and mentally that makes us do things like self-sabotage and uh, you know why do we have all of these this this desire for instant gratification why is it so hard to be patient and play the long game uh, so I'm always fascinated in in the human behavior side of things so there's a heavy dose of that in the in the show Instagram you can connect with me it's at coach underscore Mike underscore Milner and those are probably the two best places. Awesome. Make sure you check out Mike. His information is absolutely fantastic, both on the Mind Over Macros podcast and, of course, over on Instagram. Thank you so much. Talk to you next time. Hey, it's Eric here again. Now, there are three ways that I can help you look great naked. Number one, if you want to grab a free copy of the Look Great Naked protocol to help you lose body fat without counting calories, then go to bachperformance.com backslash free training. Number two, if you're a busy guy looking to build muscle, then I recommend checking out our Minimalist Muscle Blitz, which has helped over 1,000 men build muscle without living in the gym. Just go to minimalistmuscleblitz.com. The link will also be available in the show notes. Or number three, and last, if you want to work with me directly and get the best results possible, apply at bachperformance.com backslash coaching to look great naked without living in the gym. Until next time, my friend.